And we went to a farm where we've bought pork from that farm and met the family and met everybody. And then two, there's a photo uh, of Emma where um, a pig had just had a litter. And so she got to hold a, a piglet that was like six hours old. Oh, really? And it was just this awesome photo in, in New Providence, Iowa, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and we put that on Facebook. And then the first comment was a bacon burn in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's not really, you missed the message here. You know, it's like, Hello, everyone. This is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey telling the stories of leaders, founders, CEOs, and people making an impact through business investing and entrepreneurship. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas not often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you by emailing us at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts. Hey guys, it's Chris. Welcome to the Fort. I'm excited to have a good buddy of mine, Travis Heim, who is the co-founder of Heim Barbecue here in Fort Worth with me today. Travis's story is awesome. I'm going to let him tell it, Um, but he has uh, developed an incredible brand here in Fort Worth, Um, is a legend barbecue pit master. I'll speak on his behalf. Has a really cool story, works with his wife, Emma, who is his co-founder, and they've just built something really special and they have incredible food. So uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. That's maybe um, an overstatement on some of that. Yeah, <laughs> I had to say it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, the, the the easy question out the gate is like, tell me just a little bit about yourself and where you're from and uh, kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, uh, good question from Fort Worth, Fort Worth guy. Grew up on the west side. I guess my parents' first house was like in Fairmount, you know, over by uh, Magnolia, our first restaurant. So grew up here, um, had family in East Texas and was kind of just around barbecue, you know, always going to Angelo's and Railhead, those kind of places. And we opened our food truck February 21st, 2015. So we just hit five years. Wow. Then opened Magnolia Restaurant um, about a year later, just opened in the River District in April, um, which has been great. And now we're going to open another one in Dallas. We got, you know, a ton of stuff going on. So um, it's been fun, man. I'm from here. You know, I never really thought I'd end up doing barbecue and somehow— you know, fell into it. Did you just start cooking randomly at home? And how'd you even like realize you were any good at it? Yeah. Um, so the first brisket I cooked, I was 12, I yeah. think. And it was on uh, my granddad's old smoker that we had in the backyard. And uh, I'd always, you know, barbecue's like glamorous now. And it's like kind of cool. Like th- it was not cool, you know, <laughs> what, 18 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, but a lot of guys in my family, my uncle, my granddad would cook a lot. And so I think it was just like wanting to be cool, just emulate them and, you know, uh, that type of thing. And so somehow I talked my mom into getting a brisket and I still remember I couldn't get the fire right. It was like, you know, I was just throwing wood in the fire, like loading, loading the firebox up. It was an inferno, you know, just shooting out. And uh, I was like, damn, I can't get this temperature up. And I realized the uh, temp gauge was through the door 
and it was sticking into the brisket. <laughs> so it was reading the temperature of the brisket. <laughs> it's like it was probably like a thousand degree fire, <laughs> and then this little tiny thing. So. Uh, I, I, you know, my mom said for a long time that was the best brisket I ever cooked. I think just to piss me off, and yeah, um, you know, but it's uh, hopefully I've improved since then. But she had a small uh, catering business, kind of for like West Side Fort Worth folks, um, that she would just do out of the house. So I'd cook with her a lot, and I'd kind of do all the grilling and stuff. You know, even into high school, college, um, if she needed. Same thing when when I got to college. You know, we'd save up money for a 30-pack of beer and a couple racks of ribs or brisket or something and yep. just kind of do that. And then um, the the first, like, real smoker I guess I ever had was my uh, my in-laws bought it for me as a, a gift after Em and I were, were married. And so uh, that was fun and cooked at some church lunches with that. We had, like, a thing where it was uh, first first Sunday of the month or something, they would do this lunch and— it was always terrible and, you know, like chicken salad sandwiches and pimento cheese. It was like room temperature. And uh, and so I asked the lady if I could bring a, a brisket or, you know, pork bud or something. I think I think it was a brisket. And then uh, I still remember this old guy coming up and being like, who cooked that brisket? And I thought he was, you know, mad or something. And I was like, I did, you know, was, was it all right? And uh, he just said something like it was really good or, you know, whatever. So. That was the first time someone not in my family said, you know, it was, it was good or my cooking was good. So I think that was that was a cool moment of like, oh, you know, this is this is fun. And um, so then it just kind of snowballed from there. We got a, a smoker that we opened the food truck with. My um, and you were a landman before and decided to quit being a landman and get in like go head first into a food truck. Yeah. So I I worked for. Uh, I don't know if I should say the name, but I worked for a local oil company, oil and gas company, but I was a part of their security division. Got it. Um, so we basically just did security for different projects and stuff, which was fun, I guess. You know, I hated it. It was terrible. <laughs> That's the reason I have a beard, too, is uh, we were working a project, and then uh, I, I'd grown a beard out, and then my boss was like, the lady that owns the oil company doesn't like beards. And I was like, who gives a shit? You know, yeah. like, what, like, I don't care. And uh, he was like, well, you need to shave, you know, whatever. So I shaved. And then um, it was, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe a month after that, the project was over. And so I was going to move to something else. And uh, they just didn't, you know, laid me off, basically. We don't have anything for you. And then so I was pissed off because I was like, man, I'm never letting the man tell me, you know, what to do. And, and then now I just have this obnoxious beard that I've had for Five years. Yeah, for anybody listening, it's about <laughs> 14 inches of pure red fury. Mm -hmm. So you haven't shaved in five years? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I get it trimmed, you know, um, try not to look too homeless. But So you leave and uh, or you get laid off. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. And then you, you start doing what, like pop-up restaurant? Or how did you go from like, yeah. a, I'm assuming by the time you got laid off, you were cooking pretty regularly. Yeah. So even um, e even through that job, so I worked at Joe T. Garcia's for yeah. a long time, and I know we have a lot of friends from there. Um, and um, so I was working there. This was when we, Emma and I had just gotten married, so nine years ago or something, almost nine years ago. And... Uh, we had moved back because I got a job there and we were just hated. Like Tyler was fun and we went to school there, but then all of our friends left. Yeah. And then you're just married mm -hmm. and you're in a 500 square foot apartment. Yeah. It's like, you know, this is, this is a lot. And uh, both of us just had jobs that we didn't, didn't really enjoy. 
Well, I did commercial real estate in college. I enjoyed that. Okay. But, um, so we moved back and then was there for a couple of years and then took the job with the oil and gas company. And so even through that, at some point I had gotten, uh, the smoker from my uncle and, uh, he was just this really talented welder in East Texas and, you know, retired, I guess you could say, just, you know, didn't really do anything once yeah. I like, officially retired. Yeah. And, uh, he had this awesome smoker on a trailer and, uh, I was like, you know, I have $300 to my name, but could we work out a payment plan or something? And, uh, he just said, just come and get it. So Emma and I had a 99 Honda Civic, uh, two door. <laughs> and so we rented a U-Haul truck and a trailer, drove down there and somehow drug it back, um, here. And then we kept at my brother-in-law's house and, uh, realized very early on that like, this is going to burn a quarter cord of wood, you know, every time we use it, just completely impractical. And so we're like, well, what if we did like parties? And so the basic idea was like, I'm going to cook a brisket. We'll just invite a bunch of our friends and uh, hopefully some people throw money in. And yeah. so it sort of started with that and uh, then kind of became more of a, you know, focus sort of deal, I guess, on our end where we were like, oh, this is really cool. You know, maybe we could turn it into something. And uh, pop-ups weren't even a thing like yeah. seven, eight years ago or whatever. And so then, so then we kind of, you know, sort of focused it and said, okay, we're going to call it meat club. Yeah. And so it was like fight club, T and E meat club. And, uh, the, the premise was always barbecue. We're going to have a ton of barbecue. We'll have one of our friends pick up a guitar. We'll have cold beer and, uh, just throw a party. And so we did that at, uh, a bunch of just friends houses and stuff. And then one of the last ones we did, at a friend's house, um, like 80 people showed up to it and, uh, it was crazy. And, and in like a, you know, 1200, 1500 square foot house, yeah. like, <laughs> the neighbors are pissed off, you know, it's like not good, but, and then, uh, we did one at Swiss pastry shop, um, which we're good friends with Hans, the owner there. So that kind of threw that too. I'm working this job. We, we cooked at a bunch of events, some events in Austin, Houston, South Carolina, Charleston. We did a big event that was fun with uh, a friend of mine that uh, had started with Franklin Barbecue and then went to La Barbecue and was the head cook there. And uh, so I kind of learned the business side of, you know, that, I guess, and and cooking, you know, 50 briskets at a time and yeah. just all of the complexities and, and everything that goes into that. And that was sort of just random, you know, like we spent a fortune, you know, we'd, we'd get a rental car because we we're worried our car was going to break down, you know, driving to Austin. And uh, just working for free and just being like, dude, I'll do anything. Yeah. I, wanna, I just want to want to learn and, and uh, you know, figure out that side of things. And so that was awesome. And kind of all of that through the meat club and other stuff. And then once that coincided with, uh, you know, the my project being over or whatever with the, the oil and gas, then it was like, what, am, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like. Uh, my wife has always been incredibly supportive and, uh, yeah, she's awesome. I think even just probably just tired of hearing about it, you know, like, yeah. uh, for years, you know, I had this thought of what if we did a barbecue place or something like that. And so she was really a big push and just like, you know, just go for it and let's see what happens. And I had probably six or seven places that I interviewed at that, um, uh, didn't hire me for various reasons. One, I still remember, and I won't say what it was, but yeah. North Texas, they, uh, the guy said I cut too slow <laughs> on the thing. And then we were at an event 
a couple months back, and he was like, man, I wish I would have hired you, you know? And you're like, thank you for not hiring <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. But it's just funny how all that worked out, and, and a good friend of mine in Austin, I went and cooked with them for a few days, and the goal was to get a job and to move down and uh, do all that. And after the, you know, couple of days was up, he was like, you know, I don't want to hire you. <laughs> and I was like, why not? I thought I did a great job. He was like, you know, if you come and work here, you're just going to cook ribs for five years and you're going to be miserable. And uh, you should do go to Fort Worth and open and do your own thing which I thought was crazy. You know, I was like, okay, great. I have no money. Yeah. <laughs> How am I going to, you know, do that? And uh, so then that was like a Sunday. I'm driving back. And then Monday morning I was looking up uh, propane tanks online to buy a propane tank to build another smoker for our pop-ups. And I found the food truck for lease um, outside of the bar that we we started our, our food truck with. So I called the guy and, uh, you know, it was – relatively cheap it was you know all of the money that we had but pretty cheap and so we basically pulled our smoker up and and started and that was five years ago it is it is an amazing story actually i don't even know if you remember but they had the food truck uh it was awesome it was sold out every day before noon there i think your menus are still the same the menus are written on paper Mm -hmm. Uh, but you did something, I think it was over Thanksgiving or Christmas where you put out a crowdfunding deal through crowd tilt, which yeah. was owned by my friend, James Bashera. Yeah, yeah. And James was like, you need to meet this guy He's selling barbecue and his crowd funds always sell out. Yeah, He's yeah. like amazing. And I'm like, what, what, what's he crowdfunding? He's like, well, you just buy like a hundred dollar brisket mm-hmm. and then you can go pick it up. And I remember we were texting and I didn't really know what to expect, but mm-hmm. you were like, meet me at this place. I think it was the, the the food truck. Yeah. And you handed me the brisket and like, come meet me here. Yeah. (laughs) No, this is what it was. You actually weren't there. You had like left it there. And I walk into this kind of weird dive bar and I'm like, Hey, I'm Chris. I'm here to get a barbecue. And I don't even know what I was expecting, but they hand me this like vacuum sealed bag with this huge piece of meat. And I remember getting it and I was like, fuck, I don't even know what I'm like, how to cook this. And then you texted me and you were like, Hey, just do these things. Yeah, Yeah. And uh, we we cooked it, and it was it, it really is the best barbecue I've ever had in my Thanks, life. Man. I forgot. So we used Tilt for our uh, yeah. pop ups. Yeah, and that's how once we figured out, oh, we you know we're gonna put like twenty bucks a person or whatever, and uh, and then they were super cool because then they put us like on the front page of their website and everything, and they sent us all this stuff. It was really neat. So, so you get started with the the food truck. <clears throat> I guess Emma decided. You know, she's going to what I don't know if she was working at the time, but she was going to join the the fight. Yeah. So when we when we opened, she's she uh, worked in oil and gas for a different company. OK. And uh, in town and she was there two months, I think, where she was still doing her day job, but then making like our banana pudding and our sides and all that um, back and forth. And then about, uh, I think, two months in or so, it was finally like. Okay, we got to line down the block. I think you know this yeah. is we can make it work. So, how long did it take you to like figure out what all your sides would be and that you would have other meats? Did you have to get good at all that stuff, or had you already started layering in those like as these pop ups kept happening? Yeah, and and it wasn't really planned, you know, planned out. But in hindsight, the pop ups were huge because almost all of our stuff that we started was uh, things that I've cooked through that, or I had cooked at you know other barbecue places or whatever, but. 
um, like our loaded baked potato salad, which is kind of like a unique take on uh, potato salad. That started in one of our pop-ups. The bacon burn-in started at one of our pop-ups. Um, you invented bacon burn-ins, correct? Yeah, you could you could say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the, it's it's up for debate, but we definitely were the first you know restaurant to do it and to to call it that. And then now they're like all over the world. Literally, it's crazy. It is. Uh, there was an article I think, in Texas Monthly or something the other day about mm. the home of the bacon burn-in or whatever. Um, so, I think it would just be interesting. Uh, so you you rent the trailer. You've never really been, is it fair to say, uh, a, you know, a, an owner of a business? I mean, you had been throwing these pop-ups. Um, mm-hmm. What was like the first day like? And did how did you let everybody know to come find you? Yeah, so we, uh, there was a little in-between of like three or four weeks, I think, where we had done the pop-ups and then I had gotten laid off. And then it was kind of like, what do we do? Yep. And so... Um, two or three weeks where we were literally selling barbecue out of our 99 Honda Civic in the parking lot at Swiss Pastry Shop. <laughs> and it was like <laughs> completely illegal, yeah. right? Like not even like close to uh, whatever, but, you know, Hans, he didn't care. He was like, you know, let us park in the in the parking lot. And so we had that going. And then when we met the, uh, the guys with the food truck to lease it, it was literally like that next week, like, okay, well, let's just do this now. And so we started, we had, you know, some following and stuff from the pop-ups, but it was mainly just friends and family, that type yeah. of thing. So we opened uh, February 21st, 2015, which I don't remember the exact weather, but it was basically like an ice storm. Yeah. <laughs> it was like <laughs> probably the worst day you could pick to open, you know, uh a business, specifically a food truck yep. in Fort Worth. I think I cooked two briskets, maybe one or two briskets and hardly anything. And we were just like, man, I hope somebody shows up. Because to that first day we opened, like when we opened the doors, we had $100 in our bank account. Seriously, like it was, it wasn't like, uh, hey, we'll see if this works out. It's like, no, we're going to be living with my in-laws if this doesn't yeah. work out. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> Um, pretty serious deal. So we did everything. We got ready, got set up, you know, Facebook too, kind of helped social media. But then, uh, we had a bunch of our friends showed up from that. We had worked with at Joe T's and, um, that had come to the pop-ups and stuff. And so we sold out the first day. And so it was kind of like, okay, cool. You know, I don't know if 30 of our friends are going to show up every day, but you know, at that point it was just kind of day by day. And then Emma was still working, you know, her day job. It was crazy. But then, you know, I think we were only two days a week the first couple of couple of weeks and then we went to three days a week and, and kind of changed it and then how much were you making a day? Food or no, money? like money. I mean probably around a thousand, maybe. I mean, seriously. So like, you were like yeah. we just hit gold basically. A hundred dollars in your bank account to a thousand bucks. No, a day. no, was, that's a good return, you know. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was uh it was crazy and um you know, the bar was kind of, at that time, not in a great area, and they didn't really bring any customers, you know. And yeah. Now that whole area is awesome, South Main and everything. But it was it was a little scary there at first. And then when we were about a month in, we started getting more buzz and people were showing up. And so then at that point, I'm doing like a case of briskets, you know. Like, yeah. Um, we're just kind of building it, building it. And then about two months in – near the end of two months was 
when we got enough people to where it was kind of, I think it was around a hundred people ish we could serve with the one smoker that we had. Um, and so about two months in, then it turned into literally as much meat as we can fit on the smoker is what we cooked. And then we just did that. And then that coincided with the, uh, four star telegram gave us a, a really positive review. And literally that next day, you know, that was like a Saturday, Friday or Saturday paper, uh, the next day we were open, the line was double, you know, yep. and it was just like, okay, this is crazy. And then that was when Emma, I was like, you know, I think you can quit now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it all right, you know. But still, it was like I joke because for a year and a half I'm eating, you know, potato salad and beans every day because yeah. that's what we had left <laughs> over. So it was uh, it was a lot of work, but, you know, it was fun. And then you met Will along the way. Did you meet Will's – your? Uh, your partner that helped open up the next restaurant. So mm -hmm. like, how did that kind of happen? So you, I guess you yeah. ran the food truck for a year. Yeah, we were there uh, in total, like a little over a year. I okay. Think. Yeah. Cause we kind of, we closed to get ready for the restaurant and then we had some delays with the restaurant, but that's a funny story that um, our business partner, Will Churchill and his wife, Rachel, Rachel actually emailed me and they were having some kind of a uh, catering deal at their uh, they had a wine bar at the yeah. time in town and uh, some sort of thing that they needed barbecue <laughs> for. And it was like, tomorrow I need barbecue. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> very politely, you know, I was just like, you know, I'm sorry, we can't do it. We, uh, you know, we need X amount of time because like for that, the briskets were already cooking, you know, for the next day or whatever. And, uh, you know, let us know in the future. So that was cool. And then uh, they had somebody else cater it who I guess did a terrible job, which was great for us. And uh, she emailed back, you know, a day or two later. Or no, I had a friend. I had another friend that I knew emailed me. And this is another example of why I don't know why we're successful because I do stupid shit. But yeah, she was like, I don't know if you know who that is, but Will and Rachel, you know, you need to. And I go, I don't give a shit who it is. You yeah. know what I mean? We can't do it. Like, it's not whatever. And uh, I didn't know him and anything about him. So anyway, that was funny. And then she she emailed like a couple of days later and said uh, they have uh, space for lease on Magnolia. They had a building that was a uh, Asian-Mexican fusion restaurant that surprisingly didn't work out. <laughs> and uh, they were looking for a tenant there. And, and, you know, she was like, have you ever thought of opening, you know, on Magnolia? And I was like, every day of my life. That's literally, you know, that's yeah. all I think about. And then it's funny because she's she's a vegan, I think, or she's at least vegetarian, but she doesn't eat barbecue. The sweetest person in the world. And so we met met with them, and uh, I, I still remember the meeting. I went where they kind of pitched us on, like, well, this is what it would look like if we invested and partnered with you guys. And, and too, at this point, we've had 20 people want to invest, you know, just random people, a lot of people that we know, you yeah. know, that are mutual friends that are oh, like, yeah. Hey, I'll give you this for, you know, a ton of equity. Yeah. So I told him, I was like, you know, they're super nice, but don't get your hopes up. And I went to the meeting and she stayed and was cooking the briskets and was poking the fires and, and watching everything. And, uh, I called her, you know, to be like, this is, I think going to be really, really cool deal and, uh, a good partnership. But I had to call the bar, and then the bartender had to go get her because she was out <laughs> poking the fires and stuff. And she ran over, and, and we worked it out. So the plan originally was just to open on Magnolia and do that. And then kind of through our, 
our friendship and our partnership with them. We've been lucky to open, you know, spot over here in River District and then now a place in Dallas. So And you have your catering facility. Yeah. Meat Force One, our food truck. I know, man. <laughs> it's crazy. So So from twenty fifteen food truck, now we have two restaurants catering. We're opening in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um it's a good time to, to pivot a little bit. One of the things you're really good at, whether you actually try to be good at it or you're good at it, is Heim has been incredible marketing. Oh, thanks. I mean, uh, you have a huge following. It's kind of a cult-like following. Uh, you, I can't remember exactly what happened with the Rangers a couple of years <laughs> ago, but you have a good way of like kind of taking <laughs> things that, I don't know, you just have a, it happened in the community or whatever and kind of making them fun or mm-hmm. um you're hilarious on Twitter. Thank you. Um, Tell my wife that. Yeah. She gets nervous. <laughs> you have been, people will comment or something on like an online review and you'll, you're not shy about responding <laughs> to that comment. Yeah. Uh, did somebody teach you marketing or is this just who Travis is and it, it works? Because, I mean, literally the city of Fort Worth loves y'all. And yeah. I don't know if there's anything you could say about like how to market a company because y'all know how to do it. Yeah. Thanks. Um well, one, I, I appreciate you saying that. And then I feel like we, uh, you know, I'm from here. And so I think, too, Fort Worth is a great city where, you know, they support people that are doing good stuff. And, you know, you're an example of that. There's yeah. a lot of people that that uh, entrepreneurs and stuff where, you know, it's like if something's cool, they're, they're going to support it. And so we've always had a ton of support from local community, whether it's Southside or now over here in the River District and uh, – that's awesome. And, you know, it's never really kind of thought out. I've always just been kind of a a jokester or whatever, yeah. you know. So it's like uh, my wife handles all our social media except for Twitter. Yeah. And so. Uh, that is definitely you. Yeah, yeah, very clearly. <laughs> and so uh, Facebook, we have 20-something thousand, you know, people. Uh, Instagram, she does that, does an awesome job with that. And we have 20,000-something followers on that. And then Twitter's just something I I did randomly and uh, have a lot of followers. And it's very non-barbecue focused, I would say, for the yeah. most part. You know, it's like a lot of – You were, live, you were like live tweeting a, a dinner at Applebee's <laughs> yeah. like a month ago that was maybe the best tw- tweet thread you've oh, ever put God. out. I That was uh, some of the most fun I've ever had. And, uh, <laughs> and so it was it was Christmas Day. And so we have a friend uh, who I love, but who's a degenerate. He'll tell his family he's with his girlfriend, and then he'll tell his girlfriend he's with, you know, the opposite or whatever. And so he's basically then he just goes to Applebee's. Mm -hmm. And this is a thing that he does, and it's hilarious to me. And I was like, I can't believe that someone actually – you're just going to go sit at Applebee's at the bar. And so uh, we we had another friend that kind of had a a death in the family and so in general we were just sort of all kind of hanging out a lot this week and you know it was a little uh, melancholy you know so to speak and so we uh we got done with our family stuff that day and then uh he was at applebee's and then it was just kind of like i guess we're all going to applebee's yeah. you know and so i'm sitting there and we walk in and it's like someone's screaming at the bartender when there's 200 people in there and it's yeah. just this absolutely like chaos uh, deal and uh, it was awesome and so too you know I have a lot of respect for those those places yeah. people that you know working on Christmas man it was tough but no I do stupid shit like that it's yeah. just you know I don't ever say anything about politics or religion because yeah. that's like I don't want to I don't want to go people but if it's you know 
a joke about Baylor football or something. Sometimes I like to, you know, poke, poke the bear, so to speak. Yeah. When you were running the the truck, my last question on the truck, but what would like a day look like? What time do you have to get up to start cooking and all that stuff? Yeah. So we were doing three days a week. Um, I think we did Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We made them four days a week at one point. I don't know, but about six months in, we hired an employee and we had one employee. (laughs) So he would get there um, like four o'clock in the morning to start the fire, do all the early stuff. But before that, I was doing everything. So usually briskets would go on hopefully about 10 o'clock, somewhere around there. So at the food truck too, we'd have to keep everything um, in the fridge inside the bar. So at this point, you know, two, we're doing maybe 20 briskets a day when we got our other smoker, um, 20 or 30. And uh, we're lugging out case by case, trimming them, rubbing them, throwing them on. That whole, that had to be done in like an hour, hour and a half, um, which is a very tight, you know, process. So we could be done by 11 when we open. So then Emma and I could be inside and I could be cutting. And then about every 30 minutes or something, I'd run out, throw a stick on, you know, run back in, keep cutting. Usually we were sold out by 1.30 or 2. So then that point we break down. The briskets then, I don't know if I made that clear, cooking for the next day at yeah. that point. So they're cooking that through that whole service and then cleaning up, doing all of that, and then finishing the brisket cook. And so sometimes that would go till 10 o'clock. Sometimes it'd go till 2 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, but our briskets, uh, when we did beef ribs, our pork butts, um, those would always go on the day before. And so there was times where, like, we uh, we upgraded to a, a Honda Odyssey minivan. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like a 97 or something. Yeah. And uh, uh, I would sleep in the van, you know, outside of the food truck or the bar. There were always, you know, people around drinking until like four. So sometimes if they closed early, I would go sleep on the couch in the bar um, just because I had to be up at four or five, basically, to start all the bacon burn-ins, ribs, sausage, and all that. So early on, especially, it was, you know, you're talking about 20-hour days yep. or something, if if not uh, longer. And there's times, too, where we do caterings and stuff where it would be, you know, you'd be almost 48 hours, no sleeping, just, just rolling. And uh, Emma, too, would do um, – you know, all the sides and stuff. So a lot of our sides, um, you know, she would do at the house, just making, you know, gallons and gallons of banana pudding and sauce and everything. And she, she, um, broke a whisk one time. I've never heard of anyone doing this, but like a welded, you know, seam on a whisk, she, um, broke it just from, from overuse, I guess. So it was nuts. And then, you know, we, it was three days really of service, um, or four days. And then, Usually we'd sleep, you know, for like 20 hours, um, and then you're just kind of prepping for the next week. And so yep. that went on for, you know, a little over a year or whatever. But it helped when we got one employee, but still it was, it was a lot. How has your job kind of changed from, like, are you still cooking all the time? You now have tons of employees in multiple locations, and, like, what what do you – because – you know, again, you're the chef, you're the pit master. Um, I'm assuming you outsource a lot of like the business functions. Uh, but what is like a day in the life of Travis look like five years later? Yeah. And that when was you're not on Twitter. Yeah. yeah, 
I try, I try not to be on there as I'm much kidding. as I used to. <laughs> it, that, that took a lot of kind of getting used to. Yeah. Because especially it's not like there's nothing we do that's been gradual. It's always just been like, hey, yeah. let's open this other one. All right, let's do it. You know, figure it out. Just let's make it happen. And so, um, you know, now we have almost 100 employees, I think, like yeah. around 90-ish employees um, across the board. And then we're about to hire another, you know, 40 probably for Dallas. So my role and Emma's role has changed, you know, dramatically. And that was that was very difficult early on, especially bringing in managers and other people. And, you know, it's just one of those things that I know you and I have talked about, but you're like, my role now is almost to, I have to communicate to those guys. These are our values. This is our vision. This is what we do. Because without that, it's, you come in and like, well, this is how we did it at, you know, Bennigan's or whatever, you know, this is how I did it over there. And you're like, that's not, that's not how we do it, man. And so it's been interesting. And, and Emma and I were very hands-on. We've always been very hands-on. And so it's a good balance now where I deal with, you know, almost all back of house stuff. And then she deals with front of house with our service, um, you know, the hospitality side of what we do. So we're a good team in that. Um, and then now we have like, as far as our, you know, org chart or whatever, we have a director of operations. We have managers at both stores. Um, we have a CFO financial guy, you know, yeah. we have our business partners too. You know, they, they're always uh, there if we need, you know, some questions or whatever, um, advice. And so, so it's good to, you know, we've developed that team, but, um, you know, for me, it's like at this point, I, I can't be cooking the briskets every day yeah. as much as I want to. And as much as, you know, that's sort of my wheelhouse, you know, yeah. it's important that, that we're doing other stuff. And, and, you know, like when we get these new opportunities to open in Dallas and other stuff that we take advantage of it. So it's interesting, but, you know, we have, a core of guys, you know, our main guys that were our smokehouse guys at Magnolia, they've been with us since we opened. Yep. And uh, they're just rock solid and just come in and do their job, you know, and yep. it's, that's, that is what it is. And so when we opened the river, we hired on some new new folks that have been really good, but some of the guys from Magnolia went to the river. We kind of split that team up. Um, and then the same thing when we opened Dallas, we have some people already in place that we can promote essentially and then move and, and build and we try to do that we try to do that with our managers the general manager at magnolia was a cashier and then she's been an hourly manager for a year or so maybe longer and then we just promoted her to gm so that's awesome when you have people like that that are bought in that kind of they get it and they want to be a part of the big picture then uh, you know it's awesome and it's i'm best. like i'll open another restaurant tomorrow you know what i mean yep. if we have the people so yep. it's like uh it's cool, but yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but yeah. my, my role's way different now, and uh, I think that's probably a good thing. You know? This might be a interesting question, but I'll, you know, you you have your recipe for your barbecue mm -hmm. uh, or multiple recipes. Um, it's not easy to replicate, but I've always wondered whether it's you or you know other food companies or um, like how do you keep it a secret to where if somebody left they don't just go basically rip your whole menu off and start tomorrow like yeah dude. that's tough man and uh especially in our industry and you know there's no like trademarks on recipes and yeah. stuff uh, we tried to trademark uh will's idea to trademark bacon burn ends 
and uh, we couldn't trademark it because of the bacon in the word or whatever. The lawyer had some excuse for it, but yeah, it's just one of those things where you know I can work for you and take your recipe and then add a tablespoon of salt and then go do it at you know this other place. And so you have to be very careful, you know, about hiring. Like everything I've ever read is like we're very very particular about who we hire and and all of that. And especially with the smokehouse, it's like. It's very rare that I'll hire somebody that, like, wants to be a barbecue cook. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's like, that's not a normal thing. Like, I didn't even want to be a barbecue cook. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like we we found success in, in hiring guys that, you know, uh, worked uh, general labor, construction, stuff like that, that they're interested and passionate about it, but they're not like, I'm going to go open a place down the block. And we've had, I mean, I the other day – him and I were talking and I think there's like at five other places in town, there's someone who used to work for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like either got fired or quit or something happened. So there's no way around it and it is what it is, but we, uh, but like the recipe for barbecue sauce, mm-hmm. like, is that just printed somewhere and somebody could just take it and go make it? Or is it like half the people know this half of the recipe and half the people know this, but nobody knows yeah. how it's fully yeah, together. basically, I mean, now um, I had a meeting with uh, Mark Rosati, the uh, culinary director for Shake Shack. That was awesome. And, you know, how much I love Danny Meyer and all those oh, yeah. guys. And he was like, you know, what's the secret to consistency and everything? And and uh, he was like, we co-pack everything. And so, like, our sauce, our barbecue sauce, uh, Renfro's in town makes that, and they just send it. So you okay. can do some stuff like that where it's not, you know, just somebody in the back um, looking at a recipe every day, but you know, that's the hard part is the consistency with your recipe. Like you need them looking at that and paying attention to it. But in my, you know, and I, I guess I'm an optimist or whatever. Um, yeah. but it's kind of like, you know, I think we really go out of our way to, to make our staff and team members feel, you know, welcome and hopefully provide a good place to work. And so, and also a lot of that's just compensation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just pay them well. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I because I've had that feeling, especially when we opened the restaurant, I had that feeling of like, you know, this is every somebody could just go down the street and and open it. But, you know, you have to operate in a, a sense of, you know, trust. This is yeah, have trust in your in your people. And for a restaurant, whatever group of restaurants, we we have a pretty low turnover, which, you know, I think speaks to that. But who knows, man? It could always yeah. happen, you know. Yeah, no, and I, not that I'm it's insinuating that people aren't trustworthy. It just, I've, you know, like I love ketchup. It's like, yeah. how does somebody not just go get the recipe to ketchup <laughs> and start a new ketchup? Um, okay, you guys source uh, some of the best meat in the country. When you open the the truck, were you sourcing that same meat, or were you just doing something locally? Or like, how do you source your meat like today? Yeah, how do you pick who's you're going to pit, like, what are the things you look for and where you're going to get your meat? So in the food truck, even uh, when we first opened the food truck, I would buy almost everything at Costco. Yeah. <laughs> and I could just go to go to Costco and uh, became good friends with all the the uh, butcher guys up there because um, they had prime uh, briskets. Yeah. So you couldn't get prime briskets almost anywhere else. And uh, we were so small time, like, Benny Keith, all the like food service companies, like we're like, no, we're not delivering, you know, one case of briskets for you. So I couldn't even get like callbacks on that. But um, then once we got a little bit busier, 
so probably a couple months in, two or three months in, uh, a guy David with Benny Keith came up, and then he really helped us. And I, I told him I was like, "This is what I want, you know." And uh, can you provide it? And so, then at that point, we were using Creekstone Farms, their prime briskets, uh, all natural prime, which were kind of like the best of the best, you know, really good stuff. Um, Why is it the best of the best? Uh, well, it's just prime grade, you know. So f- from a beef grading standpoint, you have select, choice, prime, um, and then two. They had an all natural line uh, where the diet that they would feed the cows, all this stuff was um, really good. Yeah. And then even that's you know nothing compared to what we what we source now. But um, our pork at the time, we're using a Compart Duroc, which a you know Duroc's kind of a heritage breed hog, and it was their all natural line. But that was sort of sparked from. Uh, a book I read called The Third Plate by Dan Barber, who's a famous uh, chef in New York. And uh, it's it's a really awesome book just talking about how restaurants work with, um, you know, our whole food, uh, everything, you know. And, and it was really kind of changed my perspective on a lot of things. And so, you know, we were like, it's important to him and I that, you know, if you're going to have somebody over to your house, you're going to buy good food. You know, right. I'm going to get some good steaks or whatever. So it's the same idea. Like we want to serve the best quality stuff. Um, but also, you know, there needs to be a sort of ethical and moral, you know, uh, values behind it. And so then once we sort of became the big fish instead of the small fish, when we opened Magnolia, we could be more annoying and be like, no, this is what I need you to go get this for us and bring it in. And um, one of the biggest things was once we switched almost all of our meat um, to Lone Star Meats, which is our supplier out of Austin. Um, there's a guy, Ed Hall, who's a good friend of ours. He was he was like, whatever you guys want, you know, we, we can do it. And they really focus on um, kind of boutique, you know, stuff and stuff that you can't really get other places. And so now and for, I guess, you know, the last three or four years, we've been using uh, – Certified Angus beef, prime. Um, so if you look at prime beef grading, usually, you know, prime could grade out 10 to 15% of cattle raised. Um, that's probably like high conservative number. Let's say 10 to 15%, um, you know, grade out as, as prime. So certified Angus beef has, uh, I think, 10, 10 or so requirements that, that, animal has to meet to be able to sell it as CAB, um, you know, like the marbling, the size of the ribeye, uh, the the hot carcass weight when they process it, all this, you know, stuff. Um, but then if they meet those standards, then they can sell it as CAB. So for the farmers, they get more money. Basically, they're not tied to the commodity market, which fluctuates big time um, depending on, you know, seasonality and everything. Um so maybe two to five percent of all cattle that are raised grade out of CAB prime. And then that's what we use at our restaurant. And then for our pork, we use Nyman Ranch pork, um, which is pasture raised, which is a huge difference. Because if you know anything about um, commodity hog raising, it's all of the horse, horror stories you don't want to see where they're just packed into a, yeah. a big metal building in this. Um, the, all those hogs are just raised in a field, just like you would do it, you know, 60 years ago or whatever. There's, you know, all these 
specifics on what they can feed them, how they process the animals is a lot more ethical um, to the point where now the majority of uh, all slaughterhouses and stuff kind of follow their their method. And uh, it it makes a big deal. You know, I mean, we want to be good stewards of all that. And when you have, you know, a protein-heavy menu, it's uh, it means a lot to us. And then now, so at this point in December, Ed, we were at an event in Houston. He was like, I just pulled this up just to kind of – because I thought it'd be cool. Um, he said, we've bought a million pounds of meat from Wow. Them. That's yeah. awesome. So, too, so do you, goal, like, know the families that own the farms that you're yeah. buying all this stuff from? So they do – Nyman Ranch uh, specifically does a hog farmer appreciation dinner oh, <laughs> really? every year in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, we haven't been able to go the last two years, I think. Um, just because of uh, commitments, but we went uh, three years ago and we went to a farm where we've bought pork from that farm and met the family and met everybody. And then, too, there's a photo uh, of Emma where um, a pig had just had a litter, and so she got to hold a, a piglet that was like six hours old. Oh, really? And it was just this awesome photo in, in New Providence, Iowa, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and we put that on Facebook, and then the first comment was, a bacon burn-in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's not really – you missed the message here. You know? It's like um, – but it's awesome. And then the same thing, CAB had us out um, with a bunch of other guys uh, to – uh, Worcester, Ohio, where they're headquartered, and we visited a, a farm, a Angus farm that we've bought uh, beef from. And you see those people, and you see how it affects you know their lives. Like you're putting their kids through college and stuff, yeah. and it, it makes a difference, uh, you know, compared to what we do. And I'll still get people that are like, "These prices are too high." I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, okay, you know, maybe you don't get the whole picture. Yeah. Uh, I, a lot of people do, and so that that means a lot to us. How do you like project how much you're going to order? How how far in advance do you have to place your orders? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, on a macro level, you know, usually seasons, um, you know, too, it changes because like something as simple as like uh, St. Patty's Day, any kind of Jewish holiday. A lot of uh, people are buying briskets just for the house and stuff. So you have the commodity market fluctuates. And then, too, when cattle are being processed in the summer, they're not grading out as, as high just because they've, they're hot. You yeah. know, they're not getting as fat as um, they do in the winter. So Ed, our meat guy, does a good job of kind of projecting, you know, from a big picture level, um, that type of stuff. And then from our orders, we're ordering, you know, three times, three times a week. Um, through him. So he's kind of always has about two two or three weeks in storage at his place ready for us. Um, and, and you just kind of go off of that. And we've done it enough to where, you know, like we're saying a million pounds, we can kind of project what we're going to do. But then even down to like the most minute level, like this week, uh, you know, I'm talking with the smokehouse guys and it's like, you know, you got to know the weather. You yeah. got to know what events are going on. Is Alan Jackson in town? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so then down to like, okay, we're going to put 80 on for Friday or we're going to put 70 on or whatever. Yeah. Um, all of those decisions are kind of made a week in advance. And then you sort of every day are tweaking. And because again, the goal is you don't want to have leftover. Because if we have leftover, we're having to reheat it or we're having to use it in something else. And, uh, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of buying this really good quality stuff and, right. and all that. So it's hard. That's that's probably our biggest uh, 
struggle, you know, on that. Has the impossible meat revolution, like if you think long-term, is that something, is it something you think about? Does it bother you? Uh, I'm interested to kind of see how it plays out because the thing that I've found interesting is all of the fast food chains and everything like running to that. Yep. Because it's a big deal and I know, you know, especially on like a retail level that, you know, they sell a ton of that stuff. But from all of the stuff I've read, it's not a huge market share, you know, I guess at this point, but they're kind of projecting that. So, you know, it's funny, like we get people coming all the time. They're like, well, do you have any vegetarian stuff? We're like, we're a barbecue place. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like uh, you can try our mac and cheese, you know, or is something, uh, coleslaw, I guess. But, you know, for us, I think, you know, you're if you're going to a steakhouse, you're getting a steak. Yeah. And if you're going to a barbecue place, you're going to get barbecue. So, uh, fortunately, it, it hasn't really affected us, doesn't seem to have affected us, but we do see quite a bit in uh, the catering side of our business where we'll do weddings and uh, you know, four or five years ago, it was like nobody, you know, whatever we just do barbecue. And then now uh, I have 10 guests that are vegan or I have, you know, 20 guests that are vegetarian. And so um, we'll do some, some other stuff, you know, for them to accommodate, but don't really go out of my way. You know, I'm not doing any vegan briskets anytime. Yeah. (laughs) It's staying Heim barbecue, not Heim vegan. How, what's the trend that you've noticed as far as people not coming into the restaurant, but having it ordered through like favor or Uber eats or you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's been interesting. Um, and it's, it's tough for us because I wish we could be more accommodating to that stuff. But like we had the other day, some random brand that's yeah. not rhymes with favor yeah. uh, came in and they were like, yeah, I need a brisket, this and this and this. And it was all stuff we're sold out of at yeah. the time. Um, so there's not really a great communication when you go through that third party to the customer for us to be like, hey, we don't have that, but, you know, whatever. So so that's challenging, but they they sent me a thing. You know, they always try to get us to sign up for it and I just don't care. Yeah, um, <laughs> But it's like, you know, 3000 bucks a month or something like that that we'll do in, in uh, you know, delivery through one of them. Um, the biggest thing that I've seen is like when the weather's terrible, like yeah. when it was cold and rainy this last couple of weeks, you'll see a lot of people doing the delivery and that type of stuff. So yeah. I like, it's interesting to see places in QSR places like Wingstop and others that are like doing their own in-house delivery now and um, really trying to make a, a point of that because, you know, I, I guess that's just how everything's trending, but it's like, you know, Whataburger has an app. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like everyone has an app. Everyone wants like a, a delivery and all that. So um, if they're picking up, are they going to the restaurant or do you have them pick up from like the catering place? Like, you yeah. know, ghost kitchens and yeah, yeah. people saying like, we don't want a bunch of delivery people waiting in, you know, the front of the restaurant. So they're directing them to, you know, some other kitchen. Yeah, I've seen that trend. And that was something that we actually discussed because we have like our commissary kitchen right. in uh, White Settlement, not far from here. Um, but, you know, for the time being, it's easiest just to have them go to the restaurants and pick up. And if we're out of something, we're out, you know, and it's kind of, that's just how it goes. And, you know, it's like if they decide to like eat half of the food and then get it to the customer, then the customer calls us to complain that, you know, whatever. So, yeah. It's uh, it's not a perfect science, but you know, yeah, that's you know, barbecue's communal. It's like uh, like we want you to come to the right. restaurant, we yeah, want you to come and hang out and you know, smell smoky and everything when you leave. So for sure, 
get barbecue sauce all over your shirt. <laughs> I do every time I go to lunch. Um, if somebody was starting a restaurant or had a similar kind of thing, they're good at cooking something. Is there any like words of wisdom you would give somebody? Um, yeah. That's looking to get in for the first time. Well, usually um, like people ask us to, or ask me to speak at business stuff, you know, like TCU or whatever. And, um, I always say, uh, just don't do what we did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, first of all, like, don't open a business with a hundred dollars in your yeah. bank account uh, and everything else. There's a lot, a lot smarter ways to do it. But I think the biggest thing is you just have to have passion. Yeah. And um, you know that's generic or whatever, but you have to be passionate about what you're doing. You have to have work, have a crazy work ethic, and then there's a million other variables. Yeah. You know, and it can be as simple as. You're just lucky or you're not lucky or whatever um, that determine, you know, being successful. But from the start, it was kind of like, you know, this is what I love doing. Um, and then for Emma, even love to entertain, love to have people over. Um, so it fell in our wheelhouse. And, you know, when we when people would come to the food truck, we'd, we'd always, you know, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. But it was like, no, seriously, like I can buy gas, yeah. you know, in my car because you came like, yep. I really, really appreciate you showing up today. And, and that means a lot. And I think people see, you know, see that and if you're genuine. And so, um, you know, I don't know, there's, yeah. there's a million things where it's like, especially in our industry, do I go to culinary school? Do I do this? Do I do that? Whatever. I didn't do any of that shit. You know, yeah. I've always just felt, I've worked in restaurants my whole life, but like with barbecue, especially was, guys like John Lewis, Aaron Franklin, other people, and just being, I will literally do anything yep. for free. Yep. I just want to come and learn and, and whatever. And a lot of people are receptive to that. And, you know, uh, when we opened the food truck, I was 24, you yep. know, just turned almost, or I was going to turn 25. So we didn't have kids. We yeah. didn't have responsibilities. You know, it was just one of those things where like, let's, let's just go for it. And if it works out, it works out. And, uh, yeah, but anyone that wants to open a restaurant, I say um, the the best step is to have a rich relative yeah. who loves you. Yeah, and then you'll you'll have a better uh, safety net or an amazing product. I mean, you got to freaking test your stuff out on pop ups and mm -hmm. without a lot of cost out before you kind of took it big time. Yeah, and two, I mean, even in the in the food truck. You know, we're cooking one or two briskets. It's like there's not a lot of room for error. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's nothing more disappointing than working 22 hours and then you're like cut into the brisket. You're like, man, I should have left this on another 30 know. minutes. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it'll it'll uh, train you, you know, pretty quick. What's the biggest mistake most rookies that cook their brisket make? Like if somebody – how could somebody easily get better without having to do a whole lot? Yeah, I think um, – and and even we talk about this on a restaurant level, but like uh, I think the key to barbecue in general is just fire management. And so one sort of knowing what am I cooking on, what smoker do I have, how does all of that affect the meat? And if you have like a Traeger, you know, that's like a pellet grill or something like that, it's a lot easier to do. You know, you can maintain the temperature, um, but having a consistent temperature, consistent heat. And then a consistent smoke level, too, um, is, is key. And then balancing that for the whole cook, especially if you're doing a brisket or something that's going to take 10, 12, you know, 16 hours to do. It's tough. And and that's the, the 
in my opinion, the biggest thing. Because, too, it's, you know, this idea of, you know, I need to see the smoke and looks like a, you know, locomotive or whatever. And uh, that's not the goal. You know, you need to burn a nice, clean fire, a lot of oxygen um, to the fire that kind of just gets that thing cranking. And then that's what's going to give you that good smoke that, that tastes good. I'm sure everybody's had barbecue that where like you're burping it up for like five or six hours, you know, or it's like on your tongue, you know, you almost kind of like, eh, you know, that's uh, usually that comes from from not burning a clean fire. Yeah. And, and uh, you get all that negative sort of stuff from that. So. And the grills to, or smokers and grills, you can basically manage them from your iPhone these days. Oh, so yeah. It's, it's, yeah, is yeah. It, it's relatively probably a lot easier to do that now than it was five years ago. Yeah, my friend uh, Matt with uh, Meat Church is, is sponsored by Traeger, and I think he put up a photo of uh, – he's like sitting in his hot tub, like <laughs> controlling his smoker. You from know? his app. It's like, that's nice, man. I wish we could do that I know. at the restaurants. But uh, – the smokers we have at the restaurants are, are awesome and, um, you know, work work really well. So it's, um, it's there's still, you know, room for error, but it's like. Uh, do you have a maybe a mentor that's helped you along the way? You mentioned Aaron Franklin. And, and then is there anybody in the restaurant industry or food industry that you haven't met that you would love to meet? Yeah, we have we have a ton of friends, um, especially in barbecue, a ton of people that have you know, kind of meant a lot to us. And especially, uh, you know, it's it's funny. I think everybody goes through the same thing. So especially like these newer guys that are open, you're like, oh, I remember when I had that problem. You yeah, know, I remember when that I had that problem. And so there's a ton of people that, uh, you know, kind of gave us advice early on. And probably my biggest is Danny Meyer. You know, yeah. I love Danny and uh, everything that they've done with, with Union Square and everything. And, uh like randomly through Twitter, um, we started talking and this was like two days before we opened Magnolia, I think. And he messaged and, um, he was on the board of the container store, I think at the time, or may still be, he uh, was like, we're coming in for a board meeting in Frisco or wherever their thing is. And, uh, would you guys want to do food? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and so, uh, we stopped preparing for the opening of the restaurant yeah. <laughs> and focused on taking Danny Meyer barbecue. And, uh, it was awesome and really cool. And so I got to meet him and I've read his, his book, setting the table probably a hundred times. Um, and, and kind of focused a lot of our internal, um, you know, stuff that we do for the restaurant off of that book. Um, what's like his biggest lesson out of that? So, um, there's a, there's a salt shaker on the cover and I have a tattoo of a salt shaker yeah. because of this, but some advice that he got from a mentor was, you know, in the restaurant industry or whatever, you know, you have a salt shaker and you put it in the middle, middle of the table. Right. And this is represents your core values and your beliefs and your standards, everything from food quality, hospitality, whatever. And then there are a million factors, be it your own employees, team members, uh, customers, everybody who's going to try to move that and they're going to try to move it over here. I'm going to move it over here, move it off center, you know, for whatever reason, just to kind of focus, you know, your goal as a business owner is to say, no, this is our focus. This is who we are. This is what we do. Um, and to gently push that back to the middle. So constant gentle pressure is something that he talks about um, as far as a management strategy. 
which is was a good learning lesson for me because I don't I, I have a little bit of a temper, you know, yeah. and so especially when you know easy stuff gets uh, gets mixed up. So, yeah. um, you know, just thinking in in terms of that and and having a these are our values. This is what we represent. What we want. This is how we treat our employees. This is how we treat our customers. You know, everything. Uh, all of his advice and everything. All the the talks we've had uh, have meant a lot. And I always wish I met Anthony Bourdain. I feel yeah. like he was such a cool guy. And um, you know, read everything he ever wrote. And do you? have a favorite interview question that you'll ask people when you're interviewing. I love this. Yeah. Uh, so I do. Yeah. I have, uh, I have a ton and, and I know you're like me and, and I love that whole process. And, uh, you know, I think it goes a long way cause it's, it's difficult, especially with like management. And I think managers are kind of the hardest, um, you know, that we struggle the most with bringing in new managers and, and, you know, it's just tough. And so um, we're very big on interview process and kind of everything. But usually I'll, I'll ask, who do you admire? You know, that's always a good one because um, most of the time they'll have a good answer. Or it'll be like my mom or something. Or, yeah. Why your mom? And then you're digging down to the root of, you know, this is we're trying to draw that information out. Like, what are you really telling us through this? Yeah. What's the last gift you gave somebody? That's a good one. A lot of times it's kids, you know, or something, but there was one where it was like somebody who, uh, they're, they're always working or whatever. And then they decided to make a meal for their spouse. Uh, but they like never cook. And it was this whole thing where they went and got all the ingredients and then like tested, did the whole recipe at the house when they weren't there to make sure it was good. And then like prepared the dinner the next day or whatever and all that. So so then, too, you're chiseling down to, okay, this person's obviously organized. Yeah. You know, they've thought through this whole, you know, process and all this. And then the one that usually gets people is, uh, like, people that you've worked with or that have worked under you, what's their biggest misperception about you? Yep. And then that takes somebody having some self-awareness to be like, because everybody always wants to give the great answer, you know, yeah. whatever. And it's like, man, I just work so hard. I know. And, you know, um, whatever. And a lot of times with that, you'll get, well, maybe they think I'm a hard ass or they think I'm too friendly or something. Yeah. And then you can kind of ferret out, okay, well, give us an example of that. And I've even asked before, I ask stupid shit just to get people out of their comfort zone and kind of, you know, just open up. So I'll ask, uh, do you, with the toothpaste, do you roll or do you just, you know, yeah. do you have like a thing, you know, because then a lot of times people, uh, you know, either have the whole roll in the clip or they'll just leave it, you know, whatever. And it's not a thought out thing. And mine is a total disaster. <laughs> yeah, There's that, no roll. There's I nothing. It, it know, is. Yeah. It's it's a total disaster. Emma rolls it, and it's like a nice, you know, uh, oh. everything. And mine's just like I just grab it and go. And yeah. I literally try cleaning my, off my desk, and I'll spend 30 minutes just kind of moving stuff around the desk. And when it's all said and done, it looks no but I have <laughs> I'm awful at that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, yeah, it is uh it's I've told you this many times. It's been a pleasure just being your friend and getting to know you over the, the years, Thanks. admire you a ton. Uh, like yeah. it's just a start for you. I mean, it I'm sure we'll be back on here in a couple of years and you will you'll do something. You're already doing something special, but Thank um you. it's been fun to watch. Tell Emma hello for me. I will, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, yeah, we'll do it again soon. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. Happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode.